Good afternoon and welcome to our show, We're Talking Golf. My name is Douglas Meda and I'm your host for this show. Well, it has definitely been a slow start to the golf season, but now that we are officially into springtime, things are beginning to heat up. And that can only mean one thing in the golf world, the start of major season. Of course, for many, that means the Masters, where some of golf's most storied traditions began. For the LPGA, however, it is the ANA Inspiration, which is the first major of the entire golf season. So today's show will focus on the ANA Inspiration, which starts next week. Joining me today will be Sophie Walker, who has been a regular guest on our show. In our first segment, we'll be reviewing some of the golf action from this past weekend on the PGA and European Tours. And then in our second segment, we'll focus on the LPGA and the ANA Inspiration, or for many of you who will recall, what has traditionally been known as the Dinosaur Classic. Now before we get to that, we have a message from our sponsor. Today's show is being recorded from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We are produced by the World of Golf. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.worldofgolf.org or on our social media channels of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and now on LinkedIn. For those of you in Asia and elsewhere, you can also follow us on Weibo and WeChat. We are proud to announce that. We're Talking Golf has been recognized as one of the top 40 PGA and LPGA golf podcasts to follow in 2021. Now, back to our show. Here is your host, Douglas Mader. We're back. Thank you for staying with us. I'd like to take this time to thank you, our listeners and followers from around the world who listen to our show on a regular basis. Without you, we would not be able to bring you this show, so thank you again for your continued support. Now, in the world of golf this past weekend, the PGA Tour continued with its Florida swing, having played the Arnold Palmer Classic a few weeks ago, and just this past weekend, finished up the Honda Classic in Palm Beach at the PGA National, where Matt Jones had broke a winning drought with a comfortable five-shot margin of victory. The European Tour was also in action at the Kenya Open, and we'll discuss that in a little bit with Sophie. Now, joining us on Zoom from Manchester, England, is Sophie Walker. For our regular listeners, you will know Sophie is a former professional player on the Ladies' European Tour, and now is an analyst with Sky Sports in the UK. Welcome back to the show, Sophie. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure, our pleasure. So, you're getting a little bit of the uh, golf bug itch, I'm quite sure, as your uh, lockdown situation in the UK is coming to an end very quickly. Probably not quickly enough. Oh, oh, lockdown is nowhere near ending. We're just going to be allowed outside. Yeah, lockdown doesn't end till July, maybe. Um, and yeah, the golf will be open in England as of Monday, the 29th. Um, yeah, it's more annoying that it's open in Scotland and Wales already. Um, so you're seeing people on the golf course. But yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's We can't do anything about it now. When... When Boris announced that in January, four months seemed a long, long time away. So what's a couple more days, right? Yeah, uh, I saw, I can't remember where I saw it, one website or somebody on Instagram had posted and they had a countdown clock on till <laughs> till the uh, course is opening in England. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was rather cute. <laughs> so Sophie, you're yeah. 
quite a busy person. Um, let's chat a little bit about some of your other activities. I know you're doing some work with golf a lot. You're doing some, uh, some work on uh, fantasy golf pools and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, so fantasy golf is with the European tour. So they have uh, a race to Dubai, just like most tours seem to have now. So that's what theirs is called. And they have a fantasy race to Dubai as well. So, um, Similar to the PGA Tour one, it's maybe a little bit more simpler. You just pick six eligible players. So, um, for instance, when it's World Golf Championships, everyone would love to pick Dustin Johnson, but he's not a member of the European Tour. So you have to pick members of the European Tour. Um, So myself and Kit Alexander, every week we do our expert picks and do a YouTube video of, and just talk through what who we'd suggest why we'd suggest them we kind of do all the hard work for people and and then you pick your six and, and you don't have to pick um you don't have like a transfer kitty you can pick anyone so um yeah you can just pick the best players on the world ranking if you want or you can pick your you know your favorite ones that's been good and then uh golf a lot is a review channel it's owned by how did i do which is a app over here that you book your tea times on basically and they help run um golf courses in general as in the tills the locker rooms um you know like when you have a a, a card that you put all your stuff on your on the card so yeah that, that's pretty cool golf a lot's really taken off this last year um it's nice that they've got me involved we're doing some women's golf club reviews which i don't think enough companies maybe do and especially now the big manufacturers are actually uh yeah taking note i suppose and they're the, the, the big manufacturers are producing the kit so it's up for up to us to kind of get it out there for people. so who would your picks be at the wcg this week if you don't mind me asking well interestingly it wasn't justin thomas and that is a good thing because he is getting pretty badly beat right now so um yeah, there's been a couple of groups of death. So, but I did have John Rahm to bounce back. Uh, I felt like, it, obviously, he's not putted very well, but everything else has been pretty solid. So, um, yeah, J- John Rahm was one. Um, you can't pick Spieth, I don't think. But um, And then Bryson, you know, what I like about Bryson is that he cares. Like, it's, it's, sometimes in match play, you can get that down that you just kind of give up. Um, or if you're missing a cut, you can just give up. But I really feel like that is a good thing that Bryson has, his mentality. He never lets himself um, lets himself down, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, for us, um, for us Brits, seeing Rory struggle is quite difficult. But, hey, you know, as long as he wins the Masters, we're all happy, right? Yes, I'm sure that will be quite the celebration. That would be quite the celebration for sure. Um, what about somebody like Patrick Reed? Is he still a member of the European tour? Yeah, he's in my team. Um, somebody that just is a born for match play. So, um, I actually picked Ryan Palmer as well, just because he's played really solid this year. Like he's a good player, Ryan Palmer. Um, but you just need guys that are going to hang around like consistent players. Um, because you know you're playing Wednesday to Sunday, so that swing's got to hold right, up. Right. How does it work? If you don't mind me asking, for a match play situation like this, I mean, do you 
pick a certain group and you accumulate points and then whoever no no it's just straight it's not it's just uh, so you there's eight thousand race to the buy points available for this week so it, it's all just gone on race to the buy points oh cool yeah. terrific yeah that's very terrific all right well this past week we had a couple of interesting events for the pga tour uh they were in florida as part of their florida swing the honda classic in palm beach florida and uh, Matt Jones, Australian player Matt Jones, who's been on tour for a little while, broke his drought and won by a comfortable five shots. Did you catch any of it by chance or any thoughts about that? Yeah, I just think um, like when you talk about a drought, oh, yeah, he's not won for seven years, but I feel like somebody like Matt Jones, he just just hangs around the whole time and it's a bit horses for courses with him. He's got to find a course which suits him. And and Honda did. The green started to bake. It was windy. Um, and it really suited his game. And, and it just shows the, the quality of the PGA Tour and how deep it goes. So I don't like the term journeyman and all that type of thing. There's just such a massive pool of players. I mean, the guy that came second only got in on the Wednesday, right? So... Um, that there is certain tournaments where it's it's just like anybody can win. And I feel Honda obviously didn't have the, the greatest field because of where it's positioned. Those type of events, you get you get guys like a Matt Jones or even like Corey Connors the other year that they just come through and, and take it just because of how of how good the quality is. I mean, those last four holes at Honda, they're tough and you know, to fist pump hitting it on the green. Like as soon as he did that on 17, it's like, yeah, that's won me it. So it's it's a real battle, Honda, especially in the wind. And he handled it really well and just didn't yeah, give anyone yeah. else a chance. That's true. So with the Honda Classic and Matt Jones playing well, he's earned his ticket to the Masters. How do you think uh, he's a bit yeah. of a streaky player, is he not? Or is he too much of a uh, horse for a course type of uh, situation? And I mean, he hits a good draw, which will suit Augusta. I, I don't know. Like, you can't you can't pick anybody outside the top thirty in the world for the Masters, really. Um, and you look at the stats. If you're not in the top ten or eleven players, strokes gained or stroke average, there's there's no point. Um, so sorry, Matt. Like, if you're not looking at, at those types of, uh, you know, the bookies' favourites. Then, yeah, the, the Masters is one of those fields that isn't open, isn't it? There's only 84 playing. It's 25% of them you can disregard because they're rookies, amateurs, or um, ex-champions. So, yeah, that's. I think the Masters is one of the easiest to pick who are going to win, as in just mm-hmm. that that group of players. I don't see a I don't see a breakthrough from anyone else. On Sorry, that note, Matt. Do you have? Uh... Somebody you think who might be peaking at the right time to play uh, and compete at the Masters? Uh, well, like those type of stats. I mean, it's JT, it's Dustin. I, I can't see Bryson making the same mistakes as he did last year. I think he'll learn from them. Um, but if you want like a little bit of an outsider, and when I say outsider, it's only like 25 to 1s. They're my outsiders. It's kind of Webb Simpson, Patrick Cantlay, those guys really fit the mold um, and the stats. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love Rory, Spieth, 
or Westwood to win, but I mean, I think that's probably yeah. But he's been on a good right roll. Now. He's been on a really good roll. Yeah, he has. But um, yeah, he has. But we all know what the oldest major winner has ever been, and <laughs> he's older than him. So, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, right? exactly. That's the beauty of it. You still have to play yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so the European Tour was in. Kenya this past uh, week and uh, is staying there again for another event. Mm-hmm. Not the biggest draw on the European tour, but important that it's uh, bringing golf to other parts of the world as part of its mandate. And I think that's fantastic. Any uh, thoughts about that event? And uh, are many players using that who aren't in the WCG as a prep for Augusta, hopefully, or no, you, you won't. Yeah. If I mean, if you're in the WGC, you're in Augusta. Um, there won't be many that are that, that, that at all. Um, so it's very much, um, yeah, challenge tour and and maybe outside the top. People that don't play much race to Dubai, like get through to the finals. But that equally, that that's important. You're talking about people that haven't won for a while, Justin Harding won. Um, and you can see how much that means to him. So these these events are vital to keep the tours going and to keep these players going. And um, they're they're down there two weeks in a row in Kenya. They'll be really well looked after. The place looks great. And yeah, we you need the 145, 150 players week in week out to to keep everything going. You know the, the WGCs are amazing, but like we were talking before, there's a pool of players that. You know, like the likes of Kurt Kitayama, you know, he's really changed his career around by coming on back on uh, coming onto the European Tour. Sorry, you know, lost his Corn Ferry Tour card a couple of years ago. Came over to Europe, never played in Europe before, and then he's won a couple of times. So it's important. It can really, you know, it helped Brooks Kepker out, didn't it? And he's not done too bad. Right, right, right. Well, and that's where Brooks Kepka went and played before mm-hmm. he really. Uh, Really came back on onto the uh, well, not came back, made it onto the PGA, and had his success ever since. We're going to take a short commercial break at the moment, and when we come back, Sophie and I will be discussing the ANA Inspiration, the first major of the season in all of golf season, and the first uh, LPGA major. Did you know that at the World of Golf, we bring you up to date coverage of the LPGA Major Championships with the ANA Inspiration next week. Be sure to check out our tournament coverage at www.worldofgolf.org. That's www.worldofgolf.org. You will find a preview of the event and stories from the media days. There will be round summaries and highlights. And, we have great little details like the weather for Rancho Mirage along with other tournament information, so be sure to check it out at the World of Golf. Now. Back to our show. Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us. Now, we're on to the A&E Inspiration. Uh, as I said before the break, the first major of the entire golf world, both men's and women's professional golf. And it's being held at Mission Hills Resort in Rancho Mirage, California. And like the Masters Tournament, it is the only major, I shouldn't say that, now with the uh, inclusion of the Evian, it is now one of two major events on women's professional golf that is played at the same course each and every year. So Sophie, uh, do you have any opening thoughts about this year's ANA inspiration, especially coming off uh, 
such a late, uh, a late playing last year because of the COVID break. And then with uh, KPMG in October and the US Open in December. Yeah. Um, well, we all know the last 12 months has been anything but normal. But seeing the A&A back it, at this date makes life feel a little bit more normal. Uh, it fits in the schedule nicely after the Kia. And I know it's an event that the players really look forward to. It's got so much history behind it. And yeah, we were saying it's like Augusta in the sense that we all know the golf course. I've never played Mission Hills, but I feel like I know it. Um, and it's a big deal, isn't it, for these players? And I definitely think it's a big deal for the Americans as well. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Um, it is the oldest championship uh, on the LPGA, uh, in, well, that and the uh, the other two. Um, but its history is kind of rooted very much in Dinah Shore and her legacy in women's golf and women's professional golf. Um, I'll always remember that event being known as the Dinah Shore Classic and uh, just the legacy that Dinah Shore had with women's golf. Not too dissimilar, I think, from uh, the legacy that Bing Crosby had and uh, Bob Hope had had decades earlier with helping men's professional golf in America um, develop and become a bit more of a, uh, a stable and recognizable force in, in sports and entertainment in North America. So I've always looked forward to it. Um, I don't know if Dinosaur was as well known offshore as she was here in North America, but, uh, a wonderful history. She was such an entertainer and it was always a joy to watch, particularly my memories of it are in the seventies with all the flashy clothing and, uh, all the women's attire and, and kind of like a heyday of golf, if you will at that time, or one of its golden years in women's golf. So no blue wall this year, Sophie, what do you think that's going to do? I silent some of the critics from last year or introduce a whole new element of risk reward that hadn't been there for years. eh? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, are there going to be fans there? I'm not too sure about the, the COVID rules and stuff over there, but it, it, it didn't make sense last year because there was no crowd to sit around the back of it. Um, and it's basically looked like a big sponsorship board, which obviously when, you know, we saw that 18th hole and I know that 18th hole for Carrie Webb holding out from the fairway, Lydia Ko sticking it in close just to beat England's Charlie Hull. I don't want to know it as, oh, you remember when Brooke Henderson hit it underneath there or uh, Miriam, Miriam Lee ricocheted off, off the bat, chipped in and won the top, like, you can't have that on the 18th green. And um, like, it's one of those things that I've never really understood why it was there. Um, thankfully, it's gone now. What I would say is that I would like to see that tee moved up when it is moved up um, because to come in there with five woods, three woods, it's not a green which will take one of those. It doesn't sit at you that green. It's very flat. Um, so it's quite easy to just to skip over through the back. So if it's a three-shotter, then it's a three-shotter when it plays, what, five about over 550 yards, I think, normally. But when it gets moved forward, it needs to be able to take a hybrid or, you know, an Anne Van Dam with a six iron or a five iron, else nobody's going to go for it. You know, the only reason a lot of these players do go for it is because of that backboard. Right, right. It's uh, not as penalizing. 
well, no, it doesn't go in the water, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's definitely not penalising. <laughs> okay, understatement on my yeah. part. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be fans at the ANA this year, so I think it makes a little bit more of a uh, more sense to take that wall out, especially when it started to become the talking point last year after after the championship. Uh, how would you find it, Sophie, if you were playing in an event like that and there's no fans? Do you <laughs> do you still have the same sort of excitement as a major? Does it still sort of have that major feeling, do you think? There was never any fans watching me, so I'd be quite used to it. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't be so self-deprecating. <laughs> do you know what? Um, I think a lot of players enjoy walking down 18 and high-fiving the fans as they walk over the bridge on Poppy's Pond. But because of how long it's been going on, everybody's used to it now. Um, it's not something we want to get used to. Um, but yeah, I, I think for the players, especially the ones that have been there for so many years, I think it's just a shame that the fans have, have actually become friends, I suppose. So to not be able to to stay with who you normally stay with or to have the family that have been watching you for you know, 10 years and stuff like that. That's got to be difficult. Um, and then going on to win. To, it, it, I mean, it's not an anticlimax by any means um, for the person that wins it. But just to look back at the end on the photos and, the, you know, the jumping into Poppy's Pond without doing it in front of everybody, all that type of thing. But it's the world that we live in right now. And it's not like if you Google it in 20 years time, there's a little mark next to it saying, oh, Miriam Lee won, but hey, there was no fans. So it's not as important. Like it's, it's not the case. It's, it's still coming down the stretch. Players are still going to be feeling it. Um, but yeah, we want fans back as, as quickly as possible, but fortunately not yet. That's very important. I think, um, the point you made about looking back in history or something like that, there's not going to be an asterisk next to it about the fans. <laughs> Maybe an asterisk explaining why it was played uh, at a different time of the year, but I mm -hmm. think that would be about it. Yeah. This week, the players are in uh, Carlsbad for the Kia Classic. Who do you think you should be looking for to, to do well or kind of prime themselves in, in preparation for the ANA next week? There's only one player that I'll be watching this week at the Kia Classic, and that is Michelle Witt, because she moved the needle in women's golf, and, and she's come back. She's had a baby. Her swing looks so smooth. Like, it's rhythmical. It looks great. So, yeah, I think she will, will definitely take more of um, the viewership. We want to know how she gets on. I mean, who knows? The week, nobody knows. Um but that, I think that's nice that she's come back. I think she's teeing it up at A&A as well. Um, and, and I suppose it depends how you look at it. I think some people might, you know, might see this as a warm-up for next week. But I don't. I think it's, it's a totally different tournament. People are getting into time difference now. So the Europeans that are out there, the Charlie Halls has flown out there. They're, they need to get on the right time zone. And they want to play their way in for the A&A. If you win the Kia Classic, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna feel pretty good, aren't you? Going into going into A and A. So I was, you know, usual suspects that have started well. Um, the Corder sisters, Daniel Kang, I see he's just signed a deal with Titleist, which is great. I mean, they're obviously 
going out with each other for the best part of 12 years and they finally decided to tie the knot for whatever reason. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's really early in the season, isn't it, right now? So it's unusual to almost have a major without that much golf going on. So um, we could see a surprise, I suppose. Yeah, you're absolutely right because this year, again, being a little bit different, we missed the Australian swing, mm -hmm. which would have been an opportunity to see uh, some of the players and uh, how well they're starting to perform and peak for the springtime. So my thoughts about the Kia Classic. It's a pretty demanding course. It's uh, going to place a bit of a premium on shot making in terms of getting off the tee nicely because the rough is pretty penal in Carlsbad. Uh, at least it is this time of the year where, you know, you have your most moisture. I think it's going to be a very interesting, but you're right. I, I don't think, I think the Kia Classic in and of itself stands on its own and doesn't necessarily, is not necessarily used as a preparatory uh, event into something. I mean, obviously you want to play it because you want to have some rounds under your belt before you hit uh, Rancho Mirage, but I think it's of significant stature that people want to win this in it, their own right and uh, and put that title in their resume. So what about, uh, you mentioned Charlie and um, Lydia a couple of moments mm -hmm. ago. What are your thoughts about Charlie? She's swinging the club pretty well. She's at least some of the videos I've seen of her in practice looks like she's uh, getting really sharp and uh, sharpening up her game. Yeah. Any thoughts on her or any of the other uh, European contingent? Yeah, Charlie. I mean, Charlie looks like she's swinging a bit slow, doesn't she? She needs to stop holding back, I think. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, but it kind of looks like she's... I'm joking. She gives, she rips it. Um no, I know she no. does, but I was going to say, yeah. Charlie. But she's looking a little smoother, I thought. Ah, Charlie's Charlie. Like, that, her personality <laughs> Her personality is her golf swing. Her golf swing. Yeah. Is, and then I love True. that about her. She's she's a fast talker. She's a fast walker, and she swings it fast. It's great. Um, I mean, this is by far her favorite major to perform well in. Uh, we already spoke about the, the second to Lydia, Lydia Erko and... She's had a tied seventh, a tied six as well in the past, qualified there as an amateur. So this course really suits Charlie because it is a bomber's track, isn't it, really, the A&A? Uh, the rough will be, be grown up, I'm, I'm sure, but you need to hit the ball well off the tee and the greens bake out, so you need to be able to hold them. And she hits it high enough with so much spin. Like the, the spin and the launch that she generates on the golf ball is. It's up there with, I mean, it's like watching a guy sometimes on the range. It's, it's really, really impressive. And, you know, she was 25 at the weekend, so maybe a bit of a late birthday present for her. But the, she, she's always the one that you, you kind of look for out of um, the Brits, I suppose, at, at the A&A, just because she's got such a good record there. Right. What do you think the keys will be for her to perform well at uh, the a and &E? I mean... It's a consistency thing, really, with Charlie. I, I know she likes coming home, um, but I do think bouncing around can be, can be difficult coming back and forth to over to America. But she seems to she seems to be getting quite used to that now. So for me, Charlie just needs to uh, hold a few pots and just to kind of limit limit the mistakes. Sometimes with Charlie, she she throws in a mistake out of nowhere. So. Um, but I think with maturity and this course, 
she's now played it so many times. It's got to help, hasn't it? You're going to have to learn from your mistakes. And I'm sure her and Adam will do. What do you think about uh, Jin Young Ko? Previous winner, mm-hmm. didn't play last year. I mean, at the a and now she's back. I mean, she was looking pretty good when with the events that she's been playing. I mean, it's just like she didn't seem to miss a skip at all. Just boom, back into it. And she was right in contention all over again. Yeah, I mean, she was playing in Korea, so she just didn't play LPGA. Uh, she chose to stay and play KLPGA. Won a shed ton of money and then gave it all to charity, which was pretty nice of her. So, yeah, just because they're not playing over on the LPGA doesn't mean that they're not playing at all. Um, so a few a few of the Korean players decided to stay to stay over there. But funnily enough, they came back for the CME, didn't they? They didn't fancy missing that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Jin Young Ko... Uh, just you know she's good at everything I think that's there isn't a standout you know you look at Inby Park and you think oh wow she puts good um or Lexi you think wow she's at a mile Jin Young Ko is just it is just in fact then she's better than good she's brilliant at every single aspect of her game a multiple major winner and uh yeah you've got to look for her to be right at the top I think if you finish above her you could be jumping into Papa's pond. Yeah, I think you're quite right about that. I agree wholeheartedly. She, it, it, it's like she doesn't have a weakness in her game. She's very strong in just about every single aspect of her game. I mean, I can't think of one that she hasn't really excelled at. I mean, she might not hit it the farthest, but she's got enough distance off the tee and she's always in the fairway more or less so that she's given herself a chance. And her game seems to be not to hurt herself and uh, and then be there to capitalize when the opportunities arise, so... Somebody else who's just come back this year for the first time in quite a few months, I think it's 15 months, is Hyuju Kim. Now, the last we saw of her in 2019, I believe it was, she had one heck of a year. Was it 2019 or 2018? Where we had that uh, multiple winners year with regards to some of the trophies uh, at the season-ending honors. And I looked at some of her playing record in Korea this past year, and she's just been continuing that form, just blistering along, so... Have you uh, any thoughts about how she might uh, come back in, kind of just miss, not miss a beat and just keep on going as well? Yeah, I, the, the Korean contingent is so strong right now and they are fighting to get into this Olympic team in Tokyo. It means so much to them. So I would expect them all to be playing in as much as possible with world rankings available and playing as well as possible also. Which leads us to another one of the uh, Korean powerhouse players of the last couple of years, and Se Young Kim, uh, a second major perhaps in the offing. Oh yeah, I mean she, this is a big time player, isn't it? I really, really enjoy watching her. Um, I think you could tell by the way my voice changes. Just that you know, like at CME, like you're playing like this is like millions of dollars that you're going for here, and it just doesn't seem to phase her. She really enjoys putting herself under pressure situations. Whereas I do think a lot of players are less comfortable in those situations. You look in the men's game, someone like Tony Fino, you can see him almost, he tightens up um, of the pressure of winning. And we've even seen that, I think, with Lydia Ko recently. You know, she's getting in that position, she can tighten up, go backwards. Whereas this player is somebody that just almost seems to get better the more in the fight that she is like it's like get me there and I'm even more comfortable and also like when you talk about not wanting to make mistakes I feel like 
she's a little bit braver as well. She will go for that bit more and be a little bit kind of carefree if it comes off or not. Like she's sensible um, in the most part of her game. But if you need to pull off a shot when it counts, she will go for it. Like if she needs to hit it onto the 18th green in two and she's in between, you know she's going to step up and take the shot on. Um, and the chances are you know, she's, she's probably going to pull it off. And that's kind of what I like about her. Yeah, I'll never forget that when she was first on tour, that uh, image of her is just ingrained in my memory. Seeing her, first of all, when she uh, chipped in on 18 to tie NB Park, and then they went to a playoff, and then from the fairway, she stuffed it in from the fairway, and just the personality she brings to the course, I just, you know, it's very infectious watching, and you just can't help but stand up and cheer that player when she's up there and just... Go, go, go. I mean, I just love watching her play. She's fearless in that respect. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned Danielle Kang. She's had a little bit of a slow start. Do you think uh, her game's moving in the right direction? And what do you think some of the keys are going to be for her going forward uh, as we prep for ANA? I mean, uh, I mean, slow start that she didn't win twice on the comeback because, I mean, stroke average is 69. Um, putting the lights out and okay, yeah, she's had only a top ten and something. You know, she's not played that much. Like she's she's well up there on the race to the CME. Um, so yeah, she started hot coming back after the COVID, obviously. Um, but she's a big time player, and she will be. She will be up there. That. That is for sure. And I was saying about how much this means to players. It means a lot to her majors. Um, she plays well in American majors. Her record at Evian and the British is shocking. It's almost like, don't bother coming over, Danielle, which I know she's going to try and improve, but get her in America with the history of the ANA. Um, I think that she will she will be up there she was up there last she's got an all right record at the ANA as well but um, yeah I wouldn't say it was too slow a start she's just not won obviously in comparison to last year where she came blistering yeah. out of the starting gates after the restart <laughs> I guess that's a little bit of the curse when you set the bar so high that you start getting measured to to those standards or those new standards that you set for yourself and also in the women's game, it's it's really easy to be overtaken. Like there's not a dominant force, you know, um, especially with the Korean players going back to play on the, on the KLPGA. It's opened everything up. Um, but, you know, you've got Nelly one week, Jess the next. Like it, it, it's, it, it, needs, it needs one of these players to stand up and kind of dominate because look how easy it is just to, I mean, not forget, but um, like, you know, forget, I suppose. Um, but the more events that, that they've played, uh, you know, we haven't played a lot this year, the more everybody will just fit into its normal place. But um, yeah, I think it's it's nice to see a few of the American players playing well um, and winning. But with all the Korean players now and um, the Thai players and the, well, basically the Asian players coming back, I think we're going to really see the cream rise to the top so the american girls need to need to really start stepping it up as to the europeans because this is going to be a massive year for women's golf we've got the solime we've got the olympics we've got the five majors and there is a lot lot to play for very much so one of the players on the uh 
American side that I've been watching over the last couple of years, in particular with her progression, has been Jennifer Cupcho. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you've seen much of Jennifer outside of the majors, but um, I've just been impressed with how well she has steadily improved her play. And there's been a few events where she's been contending. Uh, she wasn't able to get it done on the Sunday, per se, but uh, she started to put herself in the conversation for potentially winning of an event. And uh, she did well at KPMG. She did well at the ShopRite Classic prior. I um, I think she's very motivated to make the Solheim Cup team. And uh, I think she's going to be a little bit more of a, a leader of the younger generation of, and when I say younger, I'm only talking four or five years difference. But for some reason on the LPJ, it seems like it's a little bit more of a, a gap than it would be, say, in the men's, uh, men's age groups. But uh, yeah, I think she's a little bit of the newer, quote unquote, generation of the American players coming up that I think uh, keep an eye on. Um, is that something you would agree with, or do you think that I'm perhaps a little uh, over overemphasizing it? Or no, I mean, like it, the way she carried herself at Augusta a couple of years ago was was incredible. That back nine will be something that I remember for a long, well, a long, long time. And, and also, you know, if you you put her against Maria Fassi, it just shows you, doesn't it? There wasn't much between them at Augusta, I and mean, she's really, really got to grips with this LPGA, and and to do it during a very uncertain time. It must be very hard to be a rookie out there at the moment. You can't mix with people. It's a lot harder to travel. You've got a lot of barriers. Um, and it just shows you how good a golfer she is to handle all that and how settled she is as a person. Um, you know, like look at Matt Wolf. He's really struggling with the social aspect. I've spoken to a few players as well that off the record that are really struggling with it. So the fact that she's adapted so well um, – yeah, I think she'd be a she'd be a good a good um, Solheim Cup player. Um, obviously, there's so many of them, but it's always nice to have a name, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I like her. I like the way she plots her way around the golf course. Um, and as I say, really enjoyed watching her at Augusta. Yeah, you mentioned about some of the challenges of being on tour and a lot of the difficulties that players have encountered this past year with the coronavirus break and and all the new protocols that are in place on the various tours and whatnot it reminds me of yesterday and the press conference or the media day they had at the kia classic in uh, carlsbad i sat in and attended and part of what i saw was a remarkable interview with inji chun now you know, we all know Inji, who won at the u.s open in 2015 and then she had that record-setting performance at the evian uh, she's also won the Korean Women's Open, so she's the only player in the world to have won three, you know, two majors on the LPGA and and won the Korean Open in in her native country. So she was talking yesterday very candidly about struggling with depression and the effect that it's had on her for the last several years, and just the effect that it's had on, in terms of being able to work through it with her family and with her coaches and whatnot, and and just what it meant to kind of rob her of joy when she was playing golf. It's something that I guess she's enjoyed. Well, most golfers enjoy their entire life and it's, it's a joy. So she kind of shared a lot about that yesterday. And um, she was saying now that she's in a happy place in a good place. She's uh, with the support of her friends and her coaches and her family. She's back to being the normal Inji and the normal Inji who played so well in all those majors and uh, 
has started this season, three events, three top tens, a fourth last week or at the last event, I mean. And, uh, so she's playing very well and she seems to have her attitude and, uh, really good focus on the game coming back. But, uh, I don't know. Did you happen to catch any of that interview or any of the stories coming out of that or? No, I mean, no, I didn't, I didn't catch it. Um, time difference is, is not ideal over here, but I think it's, it's just so much more acceptable, isn't it? To talk about, um, your mental health, like physical health is just a given. Everyone talks about it. In fact, everyone boasts about it, don't they? If you, I mean, if you go to the gym, you better put it on Instagram else it doesn't exist. Um, but mental health, I think it's something that people need to speak more about. Um, fair play to her to do it in front of the world. I do think, um, coming from a player's point of view, golf is your hobby. It's your passion. And then you decide to do it as a job. And then it, it, it still, it's still... Um, you've still got to bring the cash in, all that. Like, you've got no escapism because your escapism was your hobby and now you've not got a hobby. And um, it's really easy. You, we saw it with uh, Yanni Sang, didn't we? Like if she didn't win, the press back in her home country was like, what's wrong with her? You know, and it, it really beat her up. And I can imagine it can be quite similar. Like you've just spoke about how successful she was and the pressure that she then puts herself under the press put her under, her family might put her under and it can all get a, a bit too much and she will not be the first. And it's just, can you get yourself out of it? Um, and, you know, the grind of trying to get better on the range is, is enjoyable. It's good fun. But if you're not seeing it in a performance, it's almost like, like what, what else can I do? So um, interesting that it was just a, like her mind. It wasn't any part of her swing, but, and how she's coping with it, but she needs to stay on top of it because like a swing fall, this, this, this could easily creep back. Um, so it's great to see her back up there on the leaderboard. Um, let's just hope that playing good golf doesn't equal happiness. Like you need to be happy in, in playing good golf or bad golf, right. but it is hard to do because it's your job. And if you're not doing your job well, it does affect you. For sure. One of the other things she credited is that she's got a little more stability now. I guess in the off season, she bought a house in the Dallas mm -hmm. area. So she's now got a home base. She's very close to say young Kim and they're very much friends. She was uh, speaking in the interview yesterday about the two of them having some social events, even and being able to enjoy some things off the course in that way, sort of being able to nourish the soul, if you will. And, uh, she talked about the joy of being able to have a nice, let's say young Kim had organized a nice housewarming party for her. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that little I thing, that isn't it? All. Yeah. 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 It is very much. So, uh, one of the names, uh, that I've conspicuously missed and haven't chatted about yet, Brooke Henderson. <laughs> oh, she hasn't had the strongest start to the season, but she played well the last time at, uh, the ANA, um, for her and Nelly, it's almost the same story. A little bit of unfinished business for the, one of those two or for both of them? Yeah, it is. I think Brooke, um, she's probably at that stage in her career where she's going to define herself by majors. So I wouldn't look too much into it, the fact that she's maybe not started as well. Like we said before, there hasn't been that many events. But also, she's she's a major player that's that's kind of where she is in her career right now and that, that's what she wants to do so I would always put her to compete she plays well around tough golf courses and majors are normally tough setups 
Um, and yeah, Nelly has obviously won this year. So is a sister. Sister's got a great record at A&A actually. So um, yeah, un- unfinished business. But I think it's going to be better that the wall's not there because it's all, it's like, it, it doesn't remind you. You can almost put it down to, you can say, oh, I didn't win last year because of that wall. That wall's gone. So I'm going to, I'm going to win this year. I mean, actually, if Nelly had hit the fairway down 18, she probably would have won. Um, but there is a way of trying to psychologically getting your, your head around it by saying that wall's gone. That could that was the reason I lost. That won't happen again. We're actually watching it. You know, Brooke missed a short one, didn't she, on the playoff hole and, and, and Nelly didn't hit the fairways. But because we've got so much course history, it's quite it's easier to pick out who's going to do well there. And you do see the, the usual suspects, you know, Brittany Vincecum got a good record around there, hasn't she? So um, I would expect all the players that did well last year to maybe feature again this year. It's only been, when was it? September? Was it last year? So yeah, six months, seven months. Um, I'd expect the usual suspects. Yeah. Still very fresh memories. Mm. <laughs> uh so going forward, any thoughts about what to uh, watch for maybe in the Kia Classic or and who might be potentially coming out of that? Like, I mean, let's talk about some of the European players. I mean, Charlie's a favorite, obviously. Do you see any, an Emily Christine Peterson or a Sophia Popoff or anything like that uh, being able to strike again coming up um, this week and next? Yeah. Um, let's And Van Damme's done some great work with Sean Foley. Um, it's... You know, like she puts a swing video up, everybody loves it. And then the next comment is, I can't believe she hasn't won more. So that's that's that'll get in Anne's head. And it's it's a big, big year for her being Solheim Cup year. So she needs to start turning that swing into performances. And I think she's actually accepted that and she's going to take that on. Um, but I, I was pleased to see Bronte Law playing better. I really was. Tough year for her last year. Um, so... You know, you can write it off. Didn't count as such, I suppose, on on money lists and rankings and stuff like that. But it was really, I, I'm really pleased to see kind of Bronte back back in there. Um, and this these type of courses, um, Carlotta's a gander. I mean, this girl is so good. I mean, that you will not see anyone hit a golf ball better than she will. It's amazing um, how well she hits a golf ball. Terry Mack on the bag, Anna Kazek-Caddy will know Carlsbad well, will certainly know um, Mission Hills like the back of his hand. So I'm expecting Carlotta to really kind of step up this year. Um, I can see her win. If she's going to win a major, I can see it being the A&A. And why is that? Just because of it's a course she's familiar with, she knows uh, her caddy knows they can just be that much more prepared. Um, I would say it's not, there's less variables. British Open, you've got variables. Evian, the course is variable. Um, weather. weather. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's maybe KPMG is another one up there as well. It's it's like a ball strikers course and you don't necessarily have to, have to be the best putter in the world. If you look at the list of, of winners, they've had a good putting week, but they, you wouldn't say that they were, the best putters in the world. Um, so yeah, I think this is the one, this is the one that Carlotta can do, can do well. And she's more of a streaky putter, I would say. 
Um, fabulous short game. Actually, the more I speak about it, the more I can't believe that she's not won more, maybe. <laughs> so I'm talking her up. So yes, come on, Carla. I can see. I, I, I want I, I want her to do well. I think a lot of the Europeans would like her to do well also. Well, you know, over the last couple of years, she's put herself in contention for a Sunday. Yeah. And then just hasn't quite been able to uh, finish it off. I think she gets too. nervous. I think, I think she's, a, she's a very, um, she's a sensitive soul. She's very, she's a very caring girl. And I think the nerves get to her. Um, so, yeah, if, if she can get over that, then she would have definitely won more. Did you have much opportunity playing with her on the European tour? Carlotta's been beating me since she was 13. So, yeah, I've been, I've been well used to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your sense of humor. Sophie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you've gotten to see her and play with her and learn a lot about her just from inside the ropes alone. Yeah, I mean, just just hits it. Uh, the, the flight that she gets on her driver... Um, I mean, she when she played at the Golf Sixes, which is the the pairs event, and she played with the men. I mean, she 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 played when she played with uh, I think it was Eddie Pepperell. I can't think who the other English guy was. And she was up there with Eddie. She hit it as long as him. So um, yeah, she she's just very good. Hits par fives in two. Or this is where I think with the, where we're talking about course design. I think if the courses do become a little bit shorter and the par fives become reachable, I would expect Carlotta to win more because when I played with her on the LET, she's hitting all four par fives in two comfortably. So she's picking up four shots. It's a given because she's so good tee to green. Um, so I think that'll that'll definitely help her. It's kind of like Rory when uh, and some of the better players when they say that uh, they had good weeks or they have winning weeks. It's usually because they played those par fives uh, under par nearly every round. So oh, and the rest, like yeah, you've got to be you've got to yeah. be better than four under sometimes to to really make yeah. an effect. Okay, well that's a pretty good uh, review of the ANA and preview of the ANA. So if you had a fantasy picks, who would you pick? Your three. Let's go with three. Seeing as it's just you and I today on the show. Uh. Kim, Co, and a big Carlotta up, so I'm going to go for Carlotta. Uh, you you can have you Americans and Canadians. I'll let you have them. <laughs> and a player to, and a potential, I don't want to say dark horse, but uh, a potential uh, long shot, if you will, or n- not Oof. not quite the favorite, but somebody you think could possibly do well. No, Rosang, the, uh, the one that was announced. Oh, Rosang. Yeah. Shane. Yeah. What do you mean last week? No, no, she did well there last year. Um oh, she's okay. got as an like she's got she did well there as an amateur one year. Um so last year or the year before. Yeah, she's done well there as an amateur. I think she was all right there last year, but obviously played decent. Uh is she playing? I don't know if she's playing. Um but I'll I'll be honest, I am working on the ANA next week and I will be doing far more research for it. Um but yeah. I've only I've only got a small brain. I can't put too much into it too short notice. Well, Sophie, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure having you on as a guest. You're fantastic. And uh, despite your self-deprecation, you are very, very well-versed and uh, always on top of things and terrific insight to share with not just myself, but all the listeners that we have. So thank you so much for that. And uh, 
Let me ask you, what's up next for you? Um, I. You've got the AD yeah. that you're getting ready for. Yeah. And... So short term, it'll be kind of back to golf in England. So plenty of golf lessons. Um, yes, yeah, doing the A and A coverage and the LET is not looking like starting until maybe June time, May June. So I won't be back on the telly for that until then. So in the meantime, just trying to keep myself out of trouble, not catch COVID, and uh, yeah, trying to get everybody back not only to where they were, hopefully to improve um, their golf for the season. Well, you know, working with you, I'm sure that's uh, going to be a much more easier task than if they weren't. Oh, I so. tell them how it is. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Sometimes you, you really need that in a coach. So, <laughs> Well, thank you, Sophie. Uh, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our show for today. Thank you very much for listening in, and may you have a wonderful uh, couple of weeks till our next podcast, and uh, we meet up with you again. So in the meantime, remember, if you're out playing golf, you want to keep that ball in the short grass. On behalf of Sophie and myself and uh, our producers, thank you and have a great day. You are listening to We're Talking Golf, produced by the World of Golf. This episode was recorded on March 24, 2021. If you have an idea for a future show, please send us an email to info at worldofgolf.org. Please include podcast show in the subject line. This show is the copyright of the world of golf. Thank you for listening.